He's Scotty Kipfer. Welcome to the show. This week's guest is just one of five members of this amazing Canadian country music group. They have rebooted and they've got some new music coming out soon. We love these guys and I know that you're going to love them. Let's welcome Jeremy Bortot from Rivertown Saints. How's it going, buddy? Going very well. Good. How are you? Uh, doing fantastic. You got to tell me because you've got two little ones, Jeremy. Uh, how has these uh, crazy times been for uh, keeping the little ones occupied while you're working from home? That's a fantastic <laughs> question that requires a diplomatic answer. <laughs> um, uh, you know what? I'm I'm fortunate. My kids, uh, my kids are awesome. I know everybody says that, and uh, it's somewhat subjective. But uh, I do have really, I have two boys, uh, six and about to be eight. So um, they're very, uh, they're very good, and they're boys. So sometimes they're fu- they're playing the way they play is a lot of punching and, and <laughs> wrestling, and sometimes that spills into my office um, when I'm working, which which is fine. And then. Uh, yeah, no, they're they're pretty good. I'm lucky. There's a thing they like to do where I, I work with headphones on a lot of times, and so they'll they'll sneak up on me and scare me. I actually, there's a, there's a video online from on my Instagram. From I was gonna bring that ago. up. I was gonna yeah. bring that up. It's so epic. Very much, very much that thing. Um, but there's been a couple times where I've been like taking a drink from my coffee when one of them did it, and like <laughs> I have to, I can't get mad because they're just being kids, but I have to be like, there is so much expensive stuff in here this game is not funny um but yeah it's 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 definitely been interesting my wife is also working from home full-time so uh between her and i we we kind of have figured out a routine where we can both almost work full-time hours uh in the mornings she she initially gets up with the kids um then i teach them piano for a bit or drums or guitar or whatever and then she does schoolwork with them throughout the afternoon and they get to watch TV or something or play outside we do dinner um, hang out get them to bed and then I usually work pretty late to make up for other times so that's that's kind of how we're living these days is fine. It's like Groundhog Day. Well, you know, kudos to you because, you know, between the uh, the homeschooling for me and the trying to keep the kids occupied, my youngest is nine, and it's um, it, trying, you can't walk into any room without her following behind you, so <laughs> good you. And also, that's really wicked that uh, you're giving your kids music lessons. I, I haven't asked any of our other guests on the show this. Uh, being a musician, do they do they instill that knowledge into their kids? That's very cool. Is that something that they wanted to do, or that was, that was something that was important to you and, and your wife? Um, I think there's like a natural fascination. Um, I've been in Rivertown Saints pretty much since when my oldest was born and I've always been in bands anyway so it's very much been a part of his life seeing me play instruments and working on music at home and having people come over and we've rehearsed at my house for a, for a while so they've kind of grown up around it that being said I started playing rather late like I think I was 13 or 14 when I started playing guitar and I'd always wished I'd started sooner uh, but I was never pushed either mm-hmm. like my parents kind of said if you want a guitar you know let's sell your hockey equipment get you a guitar um, and then I started lessons and it was always like, I, I could always, I, I loved it. So I could never get enough, but I was never forced. And so I think for me, it was important not to, uh, be that dad who, you know, like, I don't want to be that dad. Who's like, I played hockey growing up and I was fantastic. So my kids will be too. Right. Um, <laughs> so I kind of like made it available to them. There's, you know, there's guitars here. We have a, I have a full size drum set and a little kid drum set. We have a piano. Um, so they have access to it. And then, we, we did sign them, we got them into piano lessons, which they actually take from a, a teacher who's a friend of mine who I used to play with at church. Um, and then I sort of teach them in between their, their formal lessons. And they, they actually enjoy it. Uh, now that they're learning, like, real songs, they learn all the Disney songs, which is cute. <laughs> What's the staple? Uh, right now, it's uh, How Far I'll Go from the Moana soundtrack. That's the one that nice. uh, we keep coming back to. And then... Um, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean theme was a big one. Cool. That one floated around for a while. Um, what else we got? A Whole New World. That's, that's being learned right now. Classic, yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Did you come from a musical family? 
Um, my grandpa plays a, plays a mean organ at Christmas time. Cool. That's, but that's, that's about it. Like there's that, not really, like, like I said, my grandpa can, could play. Um, but my parents, neither of my parents really play. Um, there's a couple people on my wife's side of the family. Well, that doesn't really factor in, I guess, but, <laughs> um, uh, but no, I didn't. So it's, it's kind of weird that, um, it was me and another guy on my street, uh, my best friend growing up, actually, we, one day he was like, let's make a band. And I was like, but we can't play anything. And he was like, well, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to learn guitar. You learn bass. So he, uh, he got a guitar and then he actually got a bass too. And I played his bass, but I was a really little kid. And so like the bass was bigger than me. <laughs> um, great. and so after a while we just sort of ended up switching and that was, uh, and then two other kids on the street joined the band and we were called trash can. And that's, I think I was like 13 or 14 around that time. All of our songs were somehow really goofy and about food. <laughs> and it was like a, it was like a big weird owl influence. The food album, um, man. Then, it was so that's, good. That's right. Yeah. And then actually the first album was called, that's so embarrassing. It's called name that stain. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Now I'll just say it, it became, it was inspired because we, we saved all our money and we, for one summer, which amounted to about 650 bucks. And we went to this, um, I think it was called studio B in Ottawa. And we recorded one day, we recorded six of our songs and the studio was disgusting and there's stains all over the floor. And that's where the name came from. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then it, that's kind of where, where it was. And I, I, I could just never get enough of it. Music just came pretty easy to me and, uh, I really enjoyed it. Enjoy enjoyed the band thing, and that kind of became part of my identity. And so I kind of try to foster that with the kids too, but at the same time, not force it down their throats because then they'll just resent it. So was it immediate for you when you were a kid and you got that first bass? Oh yeah, I remember like I got this little toy guitar. I, I got an acoustic guitar around the same time from uh, my grandmother, and uh, you know I, I learned Wild Thing, as we all do. And then I can you know, play it on the I, flute. Just saying. There you go. That's, and and you should. Um, I see. I see a. I see a feature coming up. Oh, in the don't Rubicon don't encourage song. her, dude. <laughs> don't encourage her. But yeah, I learned. Uh, I learned Wild Thing, and then um, I started taking lessons that fall. I think with uh, with this super cool long haired metal guy. Um, uh, who's now like a very accomplished folk guitarist and singer, but he was like a shred God when I was that age. And, uh, I learned, I remember like, you know, within a month I could play when I come around and smells like teen spirit and, uh, the riff from ain't talking about love and all those kind of guitar staples. And so it was just, that was, that was where it started. And then since then I just, you know, I took lessons for two years and that's 25 years ago. So 25 years ago, what was Jeremy Bortot listening to? When I got into guitar, I was, I was like grunge to the core, man. That was like, uh, remember Columbia house? Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I did the, like, I remember like I begged my mom to do the 10 CDs for 10 cents or, and then you got to buy a hundred of them over the next year or something stupid. But like my first, my, that first run was like Allison chains, dirt, uh, Nirvana, Nevermind, REM, Monster, Siamese Dream. Um, like it was just, you know, Soundgarden, Super Unknown. It was all those grunge albums that came out in like a four year span. Right. And that was, that's when I started listening to my own music and stopped listening to my, my mom and dad's music, which is a lot of Prince and, you know, other stuff. Well, that's, and it kind of sets you apart and you're kind of becoming more individual with your musical tastes. And I know you happen to uh, kind of evolved into a bit of the punk scene too, right? Yes, ma'am. That was, that was like high school. Um, I, I joined a band with uh, two other guys, three, three other guys. Um, and they were really into like Goldfinger and Newfound Glory and sort of that, that whole, I guess that would be pop punk when it was kind of coming to the, the forefront. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we put out an album, a ska album that didn't have horns. So I guess that makes it ska core. <laughs> That's ska core. It just really sounded like, like fast, aggressive polka music. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we, we, I, I was in that band for five or six years and we, we had like a pretty good following in Ottawa, which is laugh. you laugh, you know, like, 
but it was uh it was man we could we could fill the manatic legion any weekend with you know a bunch of angry 14 and 15 year olds and so uh played with some cool bands 10 foot pole slick shoes kind of did that for a couple of years and then uh and then i was in a rock band uh with a bunch of friends from church and then i thought and then i was in a uh, like a pop rock band after that with some other guys i knew and i thought that was kind of the end of it for me for music because i was like getting close to 30 and then uh i don't know river town saints happened yeah so. tell us a little bit about that how uh the the beginnings of that forms well they assembled us um you know we were just a manufactured group uh put together it was a bunch of crazy record execs got together and said how can we make the most money possible and then they found the five of us and uh there you go <laughs> But you, but you were all from the uh, Ottawa area, though, right? <laughs> uh, yes and no. So originally, um, I had known I knew Chris McComb because he, uh, we knew, we had a mutual friend, and who was who was Jordan, the drummer, and uh, Chris was just playing bars on like Friday nights, Saturday nights in Ottawa, and his regular buddy, who is now the bassist in our band, I'll get to that, um, couldn't do a gig, and he just needed someone who could fill on a guitar and play all the bar songs kind of quick without a rehearsal so you know he said you want to make a 100 bucks i said sure um we played it was like a barley mose or something we we played a uh, friday night 345s and we were like well we should keep in touch and you know there's an opportunity to make beer money here <laughs> and then uh some and then chris was in a band at that time called the working class um with joe who's now our bassist and they were opening i think they opened for jason mccoy the navin fair and chris labelle was at the Navin Fair in attendance and he was trying to put together a country band at this time. And so he approached uh, McComb and said, can I, you know, join your band? They said, no. And then, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then, yeah, no, no, sir. And then anyways, it, the, the working class Christmas band, it, they kind of were wrapping things up and um, I guess they, him and LaBelle stayed in touch and the three of us got together one time just to go over some songs that Chris LaBelle had written and we were like, well, this we kind of we sound okay singing together, and this is fun, and uh, we need a drummer and a bassist. And I was friends with Jordan because he drummed in the band I played in at church. Macomb and Jordan used to live together, so they knew each other. It was kind of funny how we were all connected. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we needed a bassist, and Dan was another guy we played with at church. Who lived in, he lived in Toronto at the time, but um, he was he was he'd never played country. And he was like, well, that'll be fun. And so we, that was, that was how Rivertown Saints started. And then for like a year, Dan was driving from Toronto to Ottawa, uh, you know, to, to rehearse once a week. Wow. Um, not really Toronto, Newcastle, three and a half hours. Close enough. And on the weeks where Dan couldn't make the drive, um, Joe would, who lived down the street, would just come over with his bass and play for fun. Uh, and uh, so it's, it's kind of fitting when, you know, tragically when Dan passed, um, that Joe was the guy to sort of step in after that because he, he'd been around since day one and was kind of like a huge part of the band mm-hmm. getting started anyway. That was probably a really comfortable fit because of that. Yeah, I mean, we Joe drove, Joe was our bus driver sometimes. Like, he was just always helping the band out. We did a big run last, uh, 2018, sorry, uh, where we did, like, Manitoulin, Boots and Hearts, Kentville, Nova Scotia, and back to Ottawa. And uh, so we couldn't was so quick we couldn't none of us could be driving for the whole thing so joe basically i think we gave him a couple hundred bucks and told him he could drink whatever beer he wanted and not while he was driving um (laughs) and so he did the yeah he did the whole thing for us and um we we always we always got along we knew that so he was kind of the logical guy to come in after you know after dan it's so interesting man like i i i love dan and uh when you leave a statement with his name hanging, I don't know what to say. You know, even even now, it's been uh, what about a year and a half, right? Yeah, I just yeah, it was a, it was a year in February. Yeah, <clears throat> I miss him every day, and I know that you guys do too. And Amy, I know, uh, is just a, a huge fan of Dan. And uh, I guess from a from a human standpoint, how do you pick up the pieces and move on after something so tragic happens? Well. It had been, uh, I mean, Chris LaBelle um, left in October, and it had been rocky before that because we kind of knew Chris was transitioning out of the band to do his own thing. And so we, you know, it was like, it was it was a tough time for us even then. 
And then we kind of all decided, well, you know, we're not, we've worked too hard. We can't let this all go uh, just because Chris left. So we, we decided, well, well, we'll find a new singer. And we went through the audition process with, uh, with people. And then we had sort of settled on somebody and then Dan passed away. And so there was a time where like, I remember it very vividly. Me, Chris and Jordan were at the hospital the morning that Dan had passed away. And we were just sitting in the little food court, Tim Hortons area. And Chris and I were actually about to leave and drive eight hours to Pennsylvania to pick up Dan's mom and drive her back to Ottawa. So she wouldn't have to wait to catch a flight the next day. And we were sitting around and we were like, well, what do we do? Like, do, is this it? Like we, our singer is left and we haven't really decided on a new singer hundred percent. And Dan's gone. He's like, is there enough of Rivertown Saints left that it's worth trying to keep doing it? And we all just kind of said, let's not talk about this for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Let's let's not think about it. Let's not talk about it. Just go away from here. You know, we're all we're all going to grieve in different ways for a lot longer than two weeks. But we just kind of said for two weeks, let's not speak of this. Mm-hmm. And then in two weeks, we we all got together and to talk about it, and we kind of all had on our own come to this conclusion that Dan would be so mad at us if we stopped. Right. Because like he was, he loved this band so much and we all did and we all put so much into it that, and so we all kind of keep together and we're like, wow, it's a no brainer. Like it is, there's, there isn't actually a choice here. We, we have to keep going. And like I said earlier, Joe was the, the guy that made the most sense to do that. And, um, and Joe actually had, we had initially before Dan, we had sort of offered him the job of bassist and he, he was, uh, you know, he had just started a new job at the time and he couldn't make the commitment. But after Dan passed and we talked to Joe again, he, he said like, this has really opened my eyes that you can, you know, your time can be up at any time and you have no idea it's coming. And he was like, I don't want to, I don't want to say no to this opportunity because you never know what the future is going to bring. And, uh, and so, I mean, I, that's kind of like something I think that an impact Dan left on everybody was when you look at what, what he was able to accomplish in his life, it kind of helps people realize like there, there isn't time to waste and you have to mm-hmm. jump on these opportunities. And, um, and Dan, Dan loved the music thing, loved doing the music thing with us so much. And I, I know that you guys both having known him got that vibe that mm-hmm. there was no way to be in a room with the guy <laughs> and not be smiling and laughing. Yes. And so um, I think just that thing that we all made together, we couldn't let it go. We couldn't let it end because of that, because we just knew that Dan would be pissed. And also, (laughs) all of us, we kind of like, we all said, like, you know, if if something happens to one of us, like, don't stop. We've all, we've all worked so hard for this. Like, it was, we always kind of believed, I mean, most of us in the band all kind of believed it was bigger than any one person at any time it was always a sum and so i think that that was just i know that was like a really long convoluted answer to how do you pick up and keep going but we uh yeah we just all realized we couldn't really stop and if we had ever thought of stopping the fact that dan had passed away after everything he'd put into it and we'd put into it that there'd be no greater disservice than to stop so um so yeah, and it was. I mean, it feels weird. It still feels weird jamming without him, especially when like one of us just shreds the other person really good. We're like, <laughs> yeah. "Where's Dan? Where's Dan? <laughs> like, Dan would have. Dan would have loved that. Dan would have like. Dan would have hopped on that and you know, added something to it and made it even more insulting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I find like Jordan and I will always text each other. Like one of us will burn Macomb really hard or something, and we'll text each other and be like, "Oh, I wish Dan had been here to see that." Or or like. We'll we'll laugh about a way Dan would have made fun of one of us or something. Right. Um, so I mean, being in a band is pretty much like being on a hockey team. It's just like nonstop nudity and making fun <laughs> of each other. So I mean, uh, minus the minus the athleticism and money. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, I don't want to make this whole thing about Dan, but I got to ask you uh, one or two of your favorite Dan memories. It could be some of his jokes. It could be uh, just give me a couple of Dan moments and then we'll move on to, uh, to what Rivertown is doing now. Oh man. Um, Dan, Dan was, there's two, I have two. Uh, He was so smart and so quick with like, with like words. Mm -hmm. Um, Anytime someone was being a knob, 
Dan would just annihilate them. <laughs> yeah. And like, I loved, you know, whether it was like on Twitter or like <laughs> trolling trolls on our YouTube page or just in person at like, you know, like someone's being a jerk backstage somewhere. Dan would just, you know, he just always had the wittiest, sharpest remark to, to get them with. So that's, that's kind of one encompassing thing with Dan. And the other one is, is uh, he, he loved, he loved his sleeping. Dan loved to sleep. He was like, you know, he was, he liked to be sleeping. Um, and like to the point where every time the bus stopped at a hotel, he was just out the door and like on his way to his room. No, and he wasn't gonna help bring anything in. He just needed to get to sleep. Um, and we all planned it one time when we were, when we were driving across Canada with Kit Moore, we had this crappy RV uh, that had, enough places for everyone to sleep except one person who would need to use an air mattress. <laughs> and Dan wasn't allowed to drive because he was an awful driver. So <laughs> the rest of us all take turns driving. We all kind of said, look, if we're all driving this stupid thing, there's no way any of us are sleeping on the air mattress. That goes for the guy who's not driving. <laughs> and so we pulled into like this community center in Wawa, Ontario after driving for 17 hours and it's like three in the morning. And we all, quickly like transition to a sleeping space and leave Dan without one. <laughs> and so we're all pretending that we're asleep. It's been like 10 or 15 minutes and we can, we can all like, we're all looking with one eye open. Dan gets at the box at the air mattress and the pump and he sits down and dejectedly pumps it two or three times and then like looks around to see if anyone's going to help him. And we're all like, we're all like laughing into our pillows at this point and, and he was so tired that you could tell he debated just sleeping on the floor. Um, so we we all like we all laugh about that time. That visual's outstanding. I can imagine that for sure. And I will say he got me good a couple of times. We were at the CMAO uh, CMAO Awards, and it was the year you guys won. What year yeah, was for that? Cherry bomb, yeah, yeah, for Cherry Bomb. Uh, 2017? Uh, sure. Uh, but we, I, I, I was standing on uh, like the music row waiting to talk to you guys. And I guess I was a little bit uppity and he simmered me down pretty fast <laughs> in front of everybody. I'm like, I super appreciated well, and needed that. Yeah. He was, it was just effortless for him. And like, there's, we all say a lot of stupid things in our band. So um, it was just like, if you gave him anything to work with, he would just turn you upside down. Like he was just so, and it wasn't even, I'm pretty good at arguing. You can ask McComb. He won't argue with me. But like Dan, Dan, I, I couldn't, I never want to fight with Dan in four years. I remember hanging out backstage with you guys in Barry at a gig. And uh, it was just line after line after line. And I, I, uh, I wish I got to spend more time with you guys as a unit because I feel like iron sharpens iron. And I think I would have left significantly wittier. After every encounter with you guys, it hasn't it hasn't rubbed off on all of us. So I wouldn't don't bet on that. Some, <laughs> well, I'm way smarter than Macomb guys, though, so it's okay. Yeah, there's still some guys in the band who are you know not the brightest lights in the balcony. Um, that's hilarious because they're all going to hear this. I know this is what it's like. This is what it's like being in Rivertown Saints is that it it never ends. Like we are just constantly at each other and we have so much fun doing it like I, I don't understand the people who just take it all so seriously and I mean like I won't name names but we all know we all know the people backstage at a, at sure. a festival who you know it's like they think they're going out they think they're on a mission you know with the CIA to save the world and it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like you drive around the country with your buddies drinking beer and playing music that's what you do if you can't step back and laugh and just look at how fortunate you are and how awesome that is. Uh, I, I could just, none of us could ever be those people. And I think that's why, that's why I really like, we never had like big fist fight, blowout fights that you hear about bands that spend a lot of time together having. And it was just cause we all had, even when we were mad at each other or there was a disagreement, we all had so much fun just playing music and literally hanging out. So well, being in a band is like, permission to be 18 for the rest of your life right right and that's the one thing I, i've always loved about you guys is that even though you're ribbing on each other all the time it always came from a place of love and uh absolutely yeah yeah so i uh, i admire you guys for that and um i we have to transition to uh the the new um 
structure of the band. You've got Joe now playing bass. You've got Chase as your new lead singer. How are you finding the new dynamic? I mean, I would be lying if I said it wasn't different. Sure. But but it's different in, in a good way. Uh, Joe is a great bass player, and he's a good friend and has been a good friend. Um, and Chase brings something. I mean, he chases 21 years old. He's much younger than the rest of us. So he brings something to it that um, I think uh, comes very natural that as bands get older and the people in them try to stay relevant, you know, it becomes an effort. But we have a guy who's 21 in the band. So uh, it just makes our world a little wider in terms of uh, what we all get exposed to as well. And that transfers into like songwriting. When you sit down and write songs, you know, the country music I grew up on was like Garth Brooks and Alan Jackson. And there's elements of that that still obviously make it into country music now. You look at like Luke Combs, uh, Midland and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But having a guy like Chase who who is much more familiar with modern country and pop and stuff like that, um, he brings a, a lot of those sensibilities to it that uh, would take a lot of work for me to be <laughs> as versed in them. And it's just it's just new people. And it's, again, Joe and Chase are both great guys. So it's not, you know, it didn't change. Like, we don't have a plug in the band now that we all have to. It changes it all that way. Um, we all still, the, the gigs we've done together since the two of them joined, Jason Blaine, Sting, um, a couple others, our prior fair, like, we had a blast. And it was just guys who enjoyed making music. I think a big thing that has changed, and it's not so much that Joe and chase have joined but it's that chris chris labelle has moved on is um we never wrote together as a band when chris was in the band Mm. and i don't know why that was uh we did a couple trips to nashville he only came on some of them and that that, so that was part of why we didn't write as a band but um even when he did come we, we never ended up all writing together whereas since chase has joined the band we've we've done a, t- a couple trips to nashville where there was like the four or five of us in a room with two writers right and uh and we you know the only way you can do that is if you basically say we will split 30 percent five ways oh gotcha <laughs> yeah yeah you know like national songwriters don't want to get one sixth of a of a cut right and that's but i don't care because i would rather have the songs than you know make four hundred dollars extra over the space of a year sure on publishing yeah so uh, I think that's a big thing that's changed is we just, it's become much more collaborative. Um, and I think the songs that we've come up with, you'll, you know, people will hear and they're going to hear more because we have a, we have an EP coming out at the end of this month um, with some more songs. And it's all stuff that we've written. You know, we've written them. Uh, Phil Barton wrote one with us. J- Jason Blaine wrote one with us. But the other, the, these songs have everyone in the band contributed to them either mm-hmm. lyrically or musically or both. And I think that really in a way has made for the most authentic version of the Rivertown Saints that we've heard yet. I love that. Cool. Do you find that it, uh, I mean, obviously it made a huge difference because you each had a part of it, but when you, when you've got to narrow down songs for the EP, how do between all of you decide what's going to make it on and what's not? Because you all have different personalities and different points of view. We just try to not pick the ones that Jordan helped write. <laughs> Jordan. Uh, I'm kidding. I love a good uh, drummer Jordan, joke. I, I didn't expect it because I just figured, you know, drums is not a melodic instrument. But Jordan's actually a great songwriter. Um, like the some of the stuff he's contributed to our songs is, is awesome. Um, you know, what, it, it, it's really hard because everything, the 10 or 12 songs that we kind of wrote last year for the you know the eventual new album we loved all of them and so it just became a question of okay there's no there's no my song is better your song is better or the one that i sort of led is better none of that it was always like let's look at these objectively and say what's the strongest song and even putting aside like our own preferences because there's a song that we all love that we haven't released yet because um it would be a real stretch, I think, for our listeners, and it would be, it, it's 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 more traditional than Rivertown Saints have ever done, and I don't know that marketing-wise that's a great idea for us right now, but it is, it's our favorite song, all of us, and I wasn't even, I didn't even write on it, and it's still my favorite song, so nobody has an ego, which makes it really easy to just look at the fact, is this one good for this time, mm. is this song good for how it shows off our strength mm-hmm. is this song 
uh, going to complement the other songs we're putting out. All those things factor into it. And because we're not worried about anyone getting their feelings hurt, we can look at it that way. So this song will be on the EP, though? It won't. Oh. Um, so we're still sitting on it. Um, there is there is a, a song on the EP, though, that's, that's going to be different than anything you've heard from us before. Um, got, uh, oh, I'm not even going to tell you. You'll just have to hear it. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out at the end of this month. That's right. There's there's three three songs on it and Slow Kiss. Um, one song is a cover uh, of a of a it's a pop cover done a little bit country, and then the other one is like a classic Rivertown Saints summertime song that I know everybody's going to dig. And then the other one is just something new that uh, we uh, we sat down with Phil Barton to write a, a, a love making song, and this is what came out of it. So it's uh, wow. <laughs> Is that about your time in the RV, or? <laughs> uh, it's it's actually it's written in first person. It's about me and McComb's relationship. Okay, um, cool. <laughs> hey, uh, you know what? Here's a really important question. How do you feel about McComb's mustache? It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's a beautiful mustache. Uh, it truly thing. is. Here's the thing: mustaches they're like seafood. Some people like them, some people don't. But as far as mustaches go, his is like. It's like a swordfish. It's like a, <laughs> uh, like, it's like, it's the catch you want. <laughs> Slogan it's like right thick, there. It's thick and dark. It's well-defined. Tom Selleck-ish. It beard when he lets it. Yeah, that's right. He's, <laughs> you know, he's checking off all the mustache boxes. We should all be so lucky. No kidding. No kidding. I, uh, since this whole COVID thing started, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I needed a haircut, first of all about a month before this whole whole thing went down so i uh now apparently i have curly hair so that's a thing uh, <laughs> i did not know that yeah i would never have known you have curly hair it's bizarre um and i stopped shaving he looks like a history professor <laughs> thanks amy that's, that's you do that's great with the goatee and the curly hair you just need a cardigan yeah i've got a legit goatee <laughs> actually you know what i should pull out the card- cardigan and see uh see hey. where we end up well, yeah. I haven't I haven't seen you in a while. Like, do you, is it like a is it like a Walter White goatee, or do you have like a soul patch? Yeah, no, it's the Walter White. That's amazing. I am the one who knocks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm starting to look I'm starting to look pretty wild too. Uh, I uh, I wore a I, we had a, a band Zoom meeting with um, our manager the other day and. I wore like a plaid shirt and I didn't wear a baseball cap for like the first time in several weeks. And so I had like a mop of hair down in my face and I, I have a beard right now. I haven't shaved. So she was just like, why are homeless people joining our Zoom call? <laughs> yeah. Well, we saw your, uh, we saw your a very cool uh, video for with a little bit goes a long way that you posted recently. And that was pretty awesome. Are you guys doing like, is that how you're keeping connected by Zoom and, and, you know, <clears throat> putting out tunes that way how are you all keeping in touch through all of this yeah we essentially finished those those three songs for the ep we did those like from isolation essentially we had started them working on them beforehand and then but i mean i have a i have a studio um chris mccomb has a studio jordan set up to record drums at home um so chase came down and and uh recorded in isolation at Chris McCombs house to do some of his vocals. And we just kind of did it that way. And it was this collaborative thing that we, we did to put the songs together. And then at the same time, we did these like one-off live performances. We did a couple of them. We have another one, actually the song that I was telling you about earlier, the one that I don't know that uh, a little more traditional, we did record a version of that. Like we just did with a little bit goes a long way and that'll make its way out soon. So people will hear cool. it. Oh, cool. awesome. Might not be the final version of it, but. Um, when you say traditional, um, Jeremy, do you mean traditional country or? Yeah, it's got like a railroad beat and uh, and some chicken picking and uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, and you know what? It wasn't like we set out to write a song like that. It wasn't like let's let's you know do make some sort of statement or throwback or anything like that. It was just um, uh, I was in a write with who was I with that day? I forget. I was writing with somebody and uh, Jordan. And um, Jordan and Chris and Chase ended up writing with Dwayne and Patricia, and um, they they just wrote this song that uh, when we heard it, it was just I, the demo I heard was just on acoustic guitar, and it and it was just the lyric in it is so good, 
but then we kind of worked some ideas with Dwayne, and when he showed us his his idea for sort of the music in it, um, I was kind of like, wow, this is not what I was thinking at all. And then I cut some guitar on it, and what just what came to me was this very sort of Brett Mason, Alan Jacksony kind of vibe. And cool. so um, it's legit the only Rivertown Saints song where the lyrics have ever given me goosebumps. I'm Can't here for hear it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stoked. Now I've now I've like built it way up, and you guys are gonna hear it and be like, "Good enough." <laughs> Probably that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's it probably possible. can't I even mean... grow a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeremy, I wanted to ask you about branding, because I know that you're a super talented graphic designer in addition to uh, what you do uh, with the band musically. How do you approach branding uh, a, an independent band these days? Uh, you just go to 99logos.com and... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you spend Fiber. about 150. Yeah, exactly. You spend 150 bucks, you get 48 designs back. You pick the one you like, and uh, no. Um, how would I approach branding an uh, an independent band? Yeah, that's a great question. I I don't know that it's possible without hanging out with them. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. for something like that, um, and I mean, I've done lots of branding projects for for clients, and you know, you'll get like a rationale from them. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is our culture. And you try best to incorporate elements of that in it. But I feel like with a band, because that's just such a personal thing. Um, I feel like you just kind of, you have to get together and, okay, what do these guys care about? What are these people? What's what's important to them? What's their musical style? And I think that for me would get the, the wheels turning. And then it's a process of, okay, well, how do you want to be seen? What are your interests? Who do you think your similar to let's get in that ballpark and then let's make sure we're unique. Right. And that would kind of be my, my take on it. So, um, think, uh, who, who else? Brett, uh, Farva. Yeah. He's, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he, he's another, he, he does awesome work too. And I think, uh, him and I've talked about this a bit before too. He's done a lot of the guys actually in the industry. Okay, so now, Jeremy, this is uh, the the point in uh, on the show that we want you to turn us on, and that means we want you to share something with us uh, that we need to know about. Whether it's something you're binge watching, something you're reading, a recipe you've tried, uh, uh, maybe a band that you've listened to, turn us on to something that has been rad for you that you've just discovered. Uh, okay, two things. My wife and I have just been like ripping through series on the Netflix um, since since COVID started, which is funny because I work from home and we, she works close to home, so it hasn't changed our lives so much that we need to watch more TV. But I guess it's just an excuse to do it. <laughs> but uh, so I mean, we we watched all of like Quantico, a bunch of other stuff, and we just started watching New Girl. Uh, I had never seen it before this year. It's so good. It's so good. I've never it's seen so it. Good. You haven't seen it. it no. It's so oh, funny. Man. We're like three seasons in. Is that and... uh, Zoe Deschanel? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 She's and she's hilarious. Like the whole cast. I am Nick, one hundred percent. Yes, you are. Um, so that's that's kind of if I could turn you on to New Girl. Scotty's apparently already on it. I'm but, on board, anyway. baby. <laughs> um, that's good. And then I've kind of I've had a rediscovery lately. And it all started from uh, I saw somebody on Facebook talking about the song Plush by the Stone Temple Pilots. Okay. And I was like, that's a good tune. I'm going to listen to it. And then I went to Spotify and I you know, searched the song. I was listening to it. And then I just, on a chance, I, I did the like generate a Spotify radio station from this song. Mm-hmm. And it grabbed all these songs from that era that I had like by artists that I haven't listened to in years, like Space Hog and Dishwalla and Eve Six and better than Ezra. And like, I just went on this three week long binge of like late nineties, early two thousands alternative rock. Nice. And I'm so into it now. It's all, all of it was so different from each other. And just the way those albums were made, like band would go in the studio and they would spend all this time making it sound this certain way. And like the next album they make would sound completely different because it's a different studio and different. And I I like that's gone from music now. It's like everybody uses the same stuff. It all sounds the same. It's a lot of the same people writing. I know I'm selling them crap on everything right now. I don't mean to, but (laughs) it's just the the industry has changed. I mean, there's a lot less money to be made from recordings now. Not the big part of it. Mm -hmm. But um, that for me was like, I just can't get enough of it now. I, I started going back and listening to all of that stuff from then. 
and not even some of it's nostalgic to me, but also I'm just like, well, it's like a, a great place to mine for ideas because I feel like it was, it was braver back then. Uh, people were taking more chances with melodies and lyrics and stuff like live. Remember the band live? Sure oh, do. Yeah. So good. I was, uh, I was on my way to a golf course in Nashville. Listen to this guy. Eh? Late last year. <laughs> um, and uh, I was on my way to a golf course in Nashville. Yes. <laughs> sipping my parked, scotch. Parked the yacht for the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, him, him. Uh, I took my cardigan off and, uh, no, but, um, but my buddy Dustin and I, uh, we, we play golf a bunch down there and, um, uh, he's a, he's a great producer, guitar player and mix engineer. And, you know, every once in a while we'll, we'll just kind of get on this kick where we listen to stuff that we just haven't listened to in a long time. And I totally can relate to this, uh, because we turned on a bunch of old train records. Yeah, man, East like Virginia? drops of Jupiter and like calling all angels mm-hmm. and these yeah. huge lush productions with strings yeah. and like, oh, it's just so, so good. Uh, you know, th- probably hundreds of thousands of dollars into these recordings. Um, and you can oh, yeah. tell, right? Like if you listen, if you A, B some of that old train stuff with what's going on now in the rock world, it's just a totally different situation, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, from like a technical side of things, the, the stuff that comes out now is, I mean, it's probably higher fidelity. It's more in your face, sure. it's mastered louder, all this stuff. But you can you can put, I mean, this is getting into the techno nerd stuff, but you can you can listen to 10 songs on the radio right now and they all have the same snare drum yep. because it all came from the same sample library. Yep. Whereas like, you know, that, that, that stuff, like that era when people made those big albums, like you said, they have like a 12 piece string mini orchestra in there and like choirs and, uh, you know, 15 guitar parts and they'd spend three weeks working on one song. And I think the, the art reflected that. And, uh, I I mean, the only way that ever happens again is if people become proficient enough to do it on their own, because no artist other than superstars, is going to have the budget to go and write an album in a studio yep. and have access to all of that stuff. Well, not just um, that, but I mean, you know, you, you can't you can't rent a studio for a month anymore and spend a week no. deciding which snare drum you're going to use, right? <laughs> no, I mean, I remember uh, reading about like Metallica recording the Black album. They were in the studio for like 18 months. They wrote Enter Sandman over the space of like a few weeks in the studio that's wow uh, yeah i saw um actually i was at nam this year in in uh, california and i saw uh chris lord algae and tom lord algae both doing like uh they were both talking about like some of the bands they've worked on and stuff like this and um and uh chris was talking about a conversation he had with mutt lang about when they recorded uh pour some sugar on me <laughs> and they so they had finished hysteria the album was done and one of the guys just had that that riff at the start of the song, and he was just kind of like, "That's cool. We should make a song out of that." And then they spent like six months making "Pour Some Sugar on Me," that's like one su- song. That's such a Mutt Lang move, though, too. <laughs> yeah, just crazy that that stuff used to happen, and uh, yeah, it's it's a totally different business now. I don't want to out anybody, but one of the producers <laughs> we worked with was telling us that like back in the day when he was when he was like a a staff writer for a record label publishing company he was like the budget that we would have just for like the artists would come to write and work on the songs and stuff and we'd have like we'd have steak every night and go to the studio in a limo and stuff like the budget (laughs) for that was bigger than like entire album campaigns are now yeah it's bonkers so it's just crazy there used to just be so much money to be had from recordings not so much the case anymore (laughs) it's a different time okay jeremy so uh thanks for turning us on now we're we're going to uh we're going to play one more game before uh we let you go it's just called five questions and you don't have to think too hard on it uh and it's really just that five questions okay so song you wish you wrote song i wish i wrote um okay um the last one that comes to mind um it's a Russell Dickerson tune. It's um, Float. Have you heard the song Float? It's like, I don't think it ever came out as a single. But there's a, there's a line in it. It's like, um, 
There ain't no way any trouble's getting to me when I'm drifting with the red stripe just like that buoy. Wow. So that is smart. Red stripe, it, yeah. It's the beer and the buoy. See? <laughs> right. <laughs> I see what you did there, Mr. Dickerson. Right? Like, I'm not, I'm never that clever. Like, I, I, I would try to write that. I'd be like, drifting with the course light. That doesn't work. Like, I just, <laughs> you know, drift. Can you float on a silver bullet? Like, I'm not smart enough. Uh, I know you have many as a father of two, but I would like your favorite dad joke. Okay. Uh, how do you catch a unique rabbit? How? Unique up on it. Oh. Okay, wait, wait, wait. There's a second part to it. How do you, how do you catch a tame rabbit? How? The, the tame way? The same way. Oh, um, Scotty. Those, those, are, those are my two go-tos. And then the third one that my kids love is, uh, uh, what kind of chips aren't your chips? Nacho chips. Not, nacho chips. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, those are terrible. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They're awful. Name the, uh, the first thing that comes to your head when I say, what's the most embarrassing moment you've had on stage? Uh, embarrassing moment? Um I called a town, a town that it wasn't, but I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember where that was, though, uh, which is which makes the story a little bit funnier, actually. But uh, I forget where we were, but I was like, you know, it's, it's total Spinal Tap, like, yeah. you know, Chicago, are you ready to rock? <laughs> and you're like Manatic. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't remember where it was, but I totally, I totally like did that <laughs> yeah that sucks <laughs> <laughs> what is an instrument that you wish you played it's uh fiddle or violin cool or flutes i could give you lessons <laughs> <laughs> yeah flute. flute i you know what i couldn't i'm not cool enough to play flute that's the problem amy is just cool enough to play flute <laughs> <laughs> she's just just fluting up a storm yeah. i remember um i uh did a little ditty with Jason McCoy back in back, probably would have been 2003 and I played for him uh, Born Again in Dixieland on the flute <laughs> I don't know I don't know how impressed he was or not but I did it I made it through I practiced that whole week for that too alright one last question if you weren't making music what else would you be doing ooh it doesn't have to be like a lucrative career. Just what else would Just I do? Just what doing? else? If if you if money was no object and you weren't making music, what would you do? National Geographic photographer. Nice. Oh, that's a cool answer. What would be your Sorry? first assignment? Um, BC, Alaska, somewhere like mm-hmm. trying to get grizzly bears and mountain lions and stuff like that. I just it's like I love photography and being a graphic designer it's sort of an occupational thing i get to do sometimes and i'm not terrible at it um but i i love i love checking through the woods and hiding out trying to take, take pictures of birds and animals and stuff like that and i love the travel aspect of it mm-hmm. when i did my radio tour uh with my first single i went coast to coast and back again yeah uh, just in my little beetle and uh you know i brought a few things and one of the things that i brought was my camera and um it just always seemed to work out that when I had time to stop, there was something amazing to stop and see. And yeah. to I just actually recently, uh, probably three weeks ago, just went through all those pictures again. And it's uh, it's really pretty awesome that uh, doing what we do allows us the opportunity to see so many things in this great country. Eh? Oh, absolutely. And that's that's, you know, half of my favorite part of it is just the going places. And you're going and you're usually going places with your friends. So like it's you're just going on road trips all the time and seeing the country and i love canada even the even you know everybody laments driving through the prairies um but i when we did it on the kit Moore thing uh i like man i was i was on cloud nine that whole i loved it whole yeah. time yeah and actually it's funny you said like we were heading into alberta where i'd never driven through and i thought we're going to get to the mountains. I'm like, wouldn't it be cool? I had my camera. Wouldn't it be cool if we saw a grizzly bear on the strip? And I'm not even joking. Like 20 minutes later, on the side of the highway, oh. walking down the highway, was a grizzly bear. A and I grizzly. got a picture of it. A grizzly, like a big brown, Whoa. hunched grizzly. 
So, I saw like four black bears, but I never saw a grizzly. That's cool. Yeah, I'll 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 Facebook you the picture. It's pretty cool. Yeah, cool, cool. Jeremy Bortot, Rivertown Saints. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on the show. That was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Uh, before you kick me off, I just wanted to put it out there. Saturday, July 18th, we're playing at the Skylit Drive-In in Pembroke. It's like a drive-in concert thing. Uh, our good buddies in Lemon Cash are going to open. And, uh, yeah, I think still some, some uh, details to firm up on, on it, but it's July 18th. It's going to be in the afternoon, and uh, it'll be like a socially distanced, responsible, stay in your cars. Uh, drive-in party thing. So that sounds awesome. Totally. That's we'll have wicked. more info on our socials and everything as it gets closer. And we'll be looking forward to the new tunes, dude. Yeah, end of this month. And uh, again, we'll we'll bug everybody on our socials about that too. So, but thank you guys so much for having me. This is uh, such a fun thing to do because um, I didn't have to pretend to like either of you because I know you're both good people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I miss I miss both of you so much. This like uh. usually by this time of the year. We've seen each other a whole bunch of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We miss you, you know, too, like, bud. Like, yeah, it's crazy. It's my, you guys are my, like, my other family. Where can people find you guys on socials? Uh, just at Rivertown Saints, everything. That's, that's, we, we own it all. <laughs> Easy peasy. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> awesome. Have a good one, Jeremy, and we'll talk soon. You too, guys. Thanks, Be safe. Buddy. Jeremy. Always a good time talking to you, and uh, we miss you lots, too. Can't wait to... Uh, be able to meet up with you in person when all of this clears up. I think I might actually take the road trip to Pembroke and see that show. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Right? Yeah. So much fun. I'm down for it. <laughs> Two cars, though. Okay, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Social media. Let's talk about it. We are at The Show on the Go. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we should mention once again that uh, if you have been affected by uh, the COVID crisis and you have made the bulk of your income uh, from music, uh, you can reach out to the Unison Benevolent Fund and get some financial support. Uh, Reach out to them at unisonfund.ca. He's Scotty Kipfer. She's Amy House. Welcome to the show.